I think what has helped me being in-house operator now moving in a consultancy role is just very strong pattern recognition. You know, this isn't the first time I've solved this problem. This is like the fifth or the sixth time I solved this problem. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Offos. Thanks for joining for another episode of the OpStars podcast. I'm your host, Don Offos. With us today, I have Ann Bao. She's the founder and CEO of Ignite Consulting. Ignite Consulting is a go-to-market strategy and revenue operations consulting firm that engages with clients in a fractional project-based or advisory capacity. Thank you for joining us, Ann. Thanks so much, Don. Great to see you. I know you're running a consultancy today, but you know you do have a background in revenue operations. And prior to that, I think you came from a background in finance. And uh, one of the things we always love bringing up on the podcast is just how people that do revenue operations, it's typically not something you graduate college and say, you know, I want to go into RevOps. You know, it's something that kind of drift into over time. And that was really my background. And I and I think you have a similar background. So could you describe your background in finance? And how do you feel that that prepared you for leading systems implementations and, and revenue operations? It's a great question. And actually, we go back a little further. I studied engineering for almost two years, so did all the prereqs, but then I felt it was a little too limiting. I'm a deeply curious person, so I graduated with economics, and that was a natural pathway into financial planning and analysis. I chose finance because I was just very math-oriented. Like I said, I originally wanted to go work on space systems <laughs> and design satellites. That was like my dream when I entered college. Ironically, I did end up working in a space systems division beyond just doing financial planning and analysis. So it's funny how things work out. But I think it prepared me in a few ways, you know, without knowing it at the time, when I was in financial planning in my first role, I was financial analyst one, that tells you how long ago this was, more than 20 years ago. And we were implementing this small little ERP system called SAP. And I actually had heard about SAP because when I graduated in, you know, 2003, all the jobs were for SAP consultants. And I had no idea what that was. And so I kept seeing them. It was, there weren't a lot of jobs. Tech bubble had just burst. And so I actually went to the library, how long ago this was, and I checked out a book on SAP and I read it cover to cover thinking, well, maybe it sounds like something good that I should learn a little bit about. And so actually at Raytheon, they said, we're implementing SAP. Does anybody know what that is? I'm like, oh, I read a book about that once. They're like, great. Do you want to be our departmental lead for operations? strategy. I'm like, well, what does that mean? They're like, oh, you'll figure it out. And so I became the departmental representative who got to work on an SAP implementation. And that was my first introduction to systems that I think really set me up for thinking as a true systems thinker, which has benefited my work in revenue operations. Got it. You described yourself as having a math-oriented brain. How do you think that this inclination towards numbers shapes your approach to doing things like data analytics and, and revenue operations? It's funny, I like to describe myself as a data-oriented operations leader. And this is important because there was a period of time in my life where I thought, am I going to go CIO route? Or am I going to go COO route in terms of long-term aspiration? And I actually worked in a CIO org, but I was much more like the business-minded operations leader in the CIO org. But I realized, you know what, I think I actually just want to be a data-oriented operations leader because I kept wanting to get closer to the business. So even when I write a mission statement, you know, I've led four or five operations t- 
teams, um, rev ops, go to market ops, commercial ops, business ops, whatever you name it. And I really come at it from a very data mindset, meaning I think that revenue operations, our mission is to understand the leverage and linkage points in a business that impact the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. And so it all starts with, you know, everyone knows what a KPI is, but a KPI is just a transformation of data and the relationship of those factors come together. So I'm like, if I can understand what those levers are and then how those levers are linked across the business, I can understand the activities that I have to influence in order to change the outcome. And so I think thinking about it that way and breaking things down to like those base components has helped me really in my role of implementing go-to-market strategy. But it all comes back to math and to data for me. Wow. So you've done RevOps, you said four times? Yeah, four or five. I mean, I feel like I should know that. Maybe five times. <laughs> a lot of times. So many I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're doing consulting now. You know, I imagine there are probably some common threads and takeaways that you run into from those experiences that apply to what you're doing today, where I think you probably get brought into a lot more opportunities to be able to use that experience in your role as a consultant in a lot of different companies, what are some of the things you run into that are really common? Well, first off, it's it's interesting because when I think about whether I was an in-house operator, you know, generally reporting into a CRO or a chief commercial officer, sometimes a CEO, sometimes a CFO, I always thought about, you know, what they were looking for in terms of the role, which was they're like, and help me know what's coming around the corner would be something I would hear a lot. Help me anticipate what I need to know. Like, you're going to give me that vantage point because of how you think about the business. And interestingly, that's what I find a lot of my clients want as well. I think what has helped me being in-house operator now moving in a consultancy role is just very strong pattern recognition. You know, this isn't the first time I've solved this problem. This is like the fifth or the sixth time I solved this problem. Even before it was RevOps, I was doing commercial analytics and operations for, you know, a $4 billion company. And and the problems that we were tackling were the same. They were just maybe called something different than what we call them in SaaS. And so some of the problems that I'm asked to solve for both in in in-house and now in consultancy are things like, hey, we don't have a well-defined sales process that is well adopted, that really understands and is adapted to the nuances of our business, help us implement that because we need to be more robust about how we're managing our deals, right? So that's one that I've had to do in almost every single in-house role and in multiple consultancy engagements as well. Another problem I'm asked to help solve for is help us think about our target account approach. We need to be a lot more focused in terms of how we're outbounding. You know, I was just talking actually with a former head of revenue marketing today about this shift that we're seeing in the industry, which is it's not, you know, spray and play, blast, volume. It's much more about personalization. You know, you don't want to be blocked or gated by Google and be put on like a different domain. And so your strategy has to really adapt. And in addition, it can't just be a sales strategy. So it's not just target account strategy. Often it's, and help us think about our target account strategy and help us connect it to our ABM strategy or account-based everything is what I like to say, so that we're really unifying the full go-to-market. I think like speaking at it above a process level, I'm brought in usually to organizations that because they have grown so quickly, they have become very fractured. And it's not their intention to be fractured. It's just the pace of growth and that we're people and people suddenly factions and silos emerge. And it's like, we have to be able to get this engine running much more efficiently. And that's usually when they decide to hire a head of RevOps. It's like combining, the way I think about it is is combining dragnet fishing, right? Where you're casting the wide net and you're going to capture everything that's out in the sea. 
to, to spearfishing. Like you have to have a combination of both to really have the right motion in your business. And a lot of people end up doing the net fishing really well, and then they miss out on the targeted accounts, or they do a target accounts really well, and they're missing on the casting the wide net. So it's like it's having that balance between the two. And I'll add, you know, the other thing that I'm really seeing is just the interconnectedness of all of these different motions, right? It's like, we need a sales process so that we can manage the deals. But then you have to be like, well, first we need deals. <laughs> first we need deals. We actually have to manage. Well, how are we going to get the deals? What does your outbound engine look like? What does your demand engine look like? How are you going to track all that so you know what's actually working or what's not? Then you manage it through. And then once you get done with that, then you're like, oh, now we have customers. <gasps> We need to manage them well as also we need to think about the post-sale customer life cycle. And so as soon as you solve one problem, you're basically entering into another problem you have to solve. And I think if you have a much more integrated approach to it, you can move a lot faster. That's very true. So you, pr- you probably have a playbook that you share with your customers based on the experience that you have. I know that when we talked in, in preparation for the call, you mentioned that you straddle industries. You know, there isn't really a necessarily a specific industry you focus on, but revenue operations, you know, the basics of it are pretty much the same regardless of the industry. How do you adapt the strategies to fit those different market landscapes that you run into? It's so important that you're bringing this up, Don, because because <laughs> yes, I absolutely have a playbook. Like sales process development, got a playbook. You know, outbound engine, pipeline generator, have a playbook. And really, I think it starts with whether I'm in-house or a consultant, how I begin the engagement. And so I, when I'm an in-house operator, you know, I'm really spending a lot of time doing a deep listening tour, a deep roadmap tour, roadshow tour rather, to understand like, what are the problems on the ground and hearing that in the voices and the language of the people that are doing the work. It's so critically important because that's where I can kind of hone in on across all the problems that I might come in to work on and solve in a go-to-market, which ones are the most pressing. And that's usually shaped by the voices on the ground. And I'll do that with a consultancy as well. It's it's a lot lighter weight. And the reason I can do it a lot lighter weight is now, luckily, I have this playbook. You know, I have like a diagnostic playbook. I was talking about it actually in a fractional group this past week. And one CR was like, well, Ann, I mean, how long does this playbook take you to implement? You just listed a whole lot of things. That play takes you like four to six months. I'm like, no, 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 no. I could do it in 30 to 45 days. But I know the questions to ask. I know the things to look for. But based on the results of that is going to determine the areas that I really focus in, in terms of my engagement. And so I think you have to, even if you're a consultant, spend that time really listening on the ground. It also helps you in gaining credibility because let's be honest, I'm an external consultant coming in. Like, why are they going to trust me? Like, you know, I have to really demonstrate that I want to be an extension of that team. Right. And, and I imagine probably in a lot of the engagements you have too, you end up discovering that they that your customer does do some things well, you quickly find out where they're really broken, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if something's working really well, I'm like, well, don't have me solve that. You're bringing me here to take you from zero to one, not from, you know, 95 to 100. Like, let the 95 to 100 be managed by your in-house team. I will find, just continuing that thread a bit, is sometimes I go in and I actually have people say, oh my gosh, yes, thank you for asking this question. Like we've been kind of off over here in our own little cave and we don't know what's going on there. And so they're thankful that somebody is coming in to kind of unearth these these gaps that are creating true connectivity across the go-to-market. So here's a question that uh, you've kind of done the dream, right? Like moving from RevOps into being a consultant. I think a lot of people think about it. They fantasize about it. 
it is quite a leap, right? Because you're going from the stability of full-time job into something where you're not only performing the functions of being a RevOps person, but you're also having to go prospect and go find business. How did you navigate that shift from being an individual contributor, a RevOps operator, to doing fractional RevOps consultancy? Yeah, sure. And full disclosure, you know, I'm only six or seven months in, so probably I'm still a newbie to a lot of other fractional options out there. You know, I'm going to share a little bit in terms of like why I realized it was time, because I think that was important, because you're right. Like so many people are thinking about this. I get reached out to you all. I had a call this morning about someone who wants to be a fractional head of marketing and wanted to pick my brain around this. You know, I think there are a few things that I consider. Number one, do I actually have enough experience to stand up on? I think that's important. You know, you could be a consultant, but like to be a fractional executive, it's something different. And so I wanted to really ensure that I was at a point in time that I'd had a number of at-bats that I could really pull in, which I have. So that was important, number one. Like, do I have the experience? Number two is, did I actually feel that there was a need for this? Like, is this a problem we're solving? Do people, would they hire me to solve that problem? And I call it fortuitousness between the time of departing my last company, when I was wrestling with, well, do I go back in house? And I was interviewing for actually SVP of operations roles, like big roles in big companies that, you know, were very enticing. And then I thought about, or do I go and do this fractional thing that had been in the back of my mind for a little while? I just actually had to realize, one, am I interested in this? Where is my excitement? And what I found is I was going through these interviews. There were two roles I was interviewing for that were both SVP level. And I just wasn't as excited about them. They were interesting to me. I was like, I could absolutely do that job. But I just found myself gravitating more towards this fractional piece. The other thing was, I had probably, gosh, I don't know, five or six people within the first couple of weeks, completely out of the blue. Nobody knew I was no longer at my last company, reach out to me for consultancy help. Okay. And I have a conversation with you. Could I grab some time? And so I thought, huh, there seems to be demand here and it's coming and finding me and I haven't even launched. So that was really validating. But I think to your point, me and my husband, I, I have a family, I have two kids. We had to have a conversation about like, what does this look like? Are we going to really go for it? I'm pretty risk averse when it comes to financials and whatnot, um, having finance. And so I thought, all right, what is the bare minimum that I'm going to need to see in terms of success for me to give this like a real shot? And for how many months could I be an epic failure (laughs) that we're willing to sustain? as like a unit. And so we got, luckily I have a very, you know, supportive partner and he was like, you should go for it. And luckily I didn't to date have that epic failure that I thought I was very lucky to have a strong launch and some real demand coming out the gate, but we had to talk about all of those things. Well, like what were, what were some of the hurdles that you had to overcome? Is there anything that sticks out over the last six, six to eight months? Really? Yeah. I said, I, I remember I'm like, let's give this a shot. And I thought, oh, it's going to take me maybe three to six months to get any customers. It, it didn't. I got I got a customer within a week. So yay, that was great. I had a strong launch. But I said, listen, I hope that I can be within six months making 50% of what I made before with an understanding this is going to take time to build. And I think luckily building up a lot of demand, I think really laying on the foundation that I had built for my community, my RevOps community that I didn't start thinking I was going to go fractional. I just did it for other reasons, which I'm sure we'll get to, gave me a lot of demand coming in. So I mean, I know I run the numbers, I'm about to run them this month, but 
of the business development chats that I've had that have turned into true S1 sales conversations. I've probably had, I don't know, 25 and 70% of those 35% have been inbound, 35% have been referral based. And so that's like been pretty great. I haven't had to do that much outbound and my win rate last time I looked was like 60 to 70%. So I think there's factors there. Like if you think about sales methodology, like generally my first meeting is with the decision maker with power, which is very instrumental to having those metrics. Got it. I know you said going into this, you made the decision after doing some interviews for SVP of operations at very large organizations. When you join at that point, it's probably a lot of things are already and a lot of coming in as an SVP of operations, you're probably, to a large extent, cleaning up messes that are there. I think you know one of the things you talked about is you like to join. One of the things you thought that being a consultant would bring you success around is the fact that you'd be able to join projects earlier than when RevOps folks are usually brought in. Because if you come in as a fractional person, you aren't going to an organization where it's like, okay, we, we want to bring in someone full-time. They're, they're taking more of the tact of, well, we know we want to bring in this function of RevOps, but we don't want to bring someone in full-time. Therefore, someone like you being a fractional position ends up being something that's very interesting and probably why there's that that demand exists. Why is that? And you know, what, what advantages do you think doing that brings? What is it about being a fractional RevOps person and coming in early? What benefits does that bring, let's say, a smaller organization, a startup, that really maybe they're just starting their go-to-market function and they approach you, what advantage does that give them? It's something, it's part of the reason that I frankly started Ignite. I just normally was brought in series C, series D. So usually 200 employees to 300 employees, anywhere from, you know, 30, 25, 30 million ARR to 50 million ARRs when they're bringing me in. And whenever I would get brought in, I mean, the house was on fire, right? <laughs> He was on fire. Don't be wrong. Like they had revenue, they had product market fit, but the house was on fire, right? Churn was going to be a disaster. There were no processes in place. Maybe like very few of their reps were hitting true productivity. They didn't know why. Data is a mess. Right. And so I always like kind of observed this because really the first four to six months was just cleanup just straight clean up. And oftentimes you would be surprised, like you would think they would have the bare bones set in place, but these were organizations that were scrappy, that had grown, that maybe were like, we're just going to promote somebody who was an analyst to a director and some other senior director had never done it before. This was their first time doing it. So they're like, they were learning on the job. And then I've met some of these people. They would say, yeah, and I didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. I have no idea if what we implemented was correct. And then you come in and you're like, well, wait a minute. Nothing's documented. <laughs> I mean, well done. Like don't, they got to that point. Clearly they were doing some things absolutely right, but they were hitting these pains of scale. And so I asked myself this question when I was thinking about launching Ignite. I'm like, what if, you know, you don't have to over-engineer this. And I think this is a fear. Some people are like, oh, we're going to hire Anne. Like she's a pretty serious RevOps executive. Are we going to really bring her in? Do we need all of that? I'm like, no, I'm not going to like try and have you implement Gainsight. Like out the, don't get me wrong. We're not down there. I'm not having you implement a BI tool and pretending you're an 1100 person company. But I do think that we can help you avoid some of the mistakes that I see organizations make. And then they create a lot of technical debt and a lot of disruption when they have to rip that all out and replace it. Let's help you avoid that massive pothole, right? 
let's help you not get to the place where many of my companies bring me in. This is the story here. And we were doing really well. We had this high growth curve. And I don't know what happened. And now we've missed target two or three quarters in a row. And we have no idea why. At least three organizations I've joined has been that. Or we grew really, really well, but we have a really low win rate like less than 10%. And we have all this funding and we have no idea how we're going to get our number. That is usually when I'm brought in. I'm like, what if you could avoid having to miss and do all these rifts and all these layoffs and you put in more processes that are going to drive greater rigor and repeatability and scalability. And frankly, why it's happening now is we know the funding environment. It's not like funding galore. Times are tight. There is not a lot of funding. So you have to really maximize the runway that you have and the focus is on efficiency. No, it's very true. So being able to build from scratch and avoid all those problems is, is something that you love to do. Avoid hopefully some of them. I don't think I'm going to let you avoid all of them, but hopefully hopefully the big ones that I see. Do you have any early examples uh, where you, you've had success doing that? You don't have to name names. <laughs> Do you mean as like, I'm going to talk about one from a past company. I won't name the company. Yeah, I got in there and, you know, exceptional company, fantastic product, really strong growth, probably doubling year on year, very well known, but couldn't hit a forecast to save their life. <laughs> they had no forecasting methodology, right? And it's not like, you know, I used to work in finance. So I feel like I can say this. It's not like, oh, let's just plug the finance forecast and that'll flow down. No, 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 no. I don't believe in that. There's a finance forecast. There's a go-to-market forecast. You have to make sure they're connected. But they had no sales process. I mean, they had a checklist of things that they needed to do. They also had no, I like to say, go-to-market customer methodology, not just sales methodology, but like it meant that everyone had a different way that they were talking about their business, had a different way that they were engaging with their customer. It was very feature focused. It was very product focused. It was not centric on the customer at all. And my perspective was that was why their win rate was quite low. I came in, I'm like, well, congratulations, you doubled in size, but very few of your reps actually hit target. And there's no way you're going to be able to scale this when the expectation from your funding organization expects you to do the exact same thing this next year. How are you going to do that on a wider base? How are you going to spread achievement across the board? You're hiring all these people. How are you going to ramp them in? And so we did a few things. One, we chose a customer methodology that we implemented across the go-to-market to unify sales, marketing, demand generation, product marketing, customer success. Really, really important. We redesigned the entire sales process, but we made sure that it matched the reality on the ground for this vertical, as well as the buyers, which were very different than buyers I'd engaged with in the past. So there was that listening to a really, really proved helpful alongside talking to the strongest reps who had done well in what they were doing and how we would integrate that into our process. We also got a lot smarter around our operating cadence. And these are just, you know, I always think operating cadence is probably just like table stakes, but the number of times I've talked to board members and they've been like, your number one focus and has to be the operating cadence. I'm like, really? The least sexy thing. But they're like, yeah, set up the cadence, hold them accountable. And this was really important to breed the right behavior in our reps and make sure that we were training them how to accurately not just forecast their deals, but that the forecast laddered up from individual to manager all the way up the executive chain. And so we really had that line of sight, which then helped us manage our deals more effectively. There's a definite discipline 
for that that people have to have, then I almost feel RevOps is responsible to really almost crack the whip if you don't have people that are doing it. But the onus is on us as RevOps operators to make sure that that's happening. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting in that I want to double tap into what you just said, Don, because I know you're a RevOps leader and, or you were a RevOps, now you're partnerships, right? And it's funny because sometimes I would come into deal reviews and I'd meet like a new VP of sales and I'd be asking questions around the methodology and I'd be asking questions around sales process and coaching. And some sales leaders loved it, you know, some, and others were like, wait a minute, RevOps, what are you doing over here? Why are you coaching? I'm like, well, shouldn't we both be like, you know, drinking from the same horn here, like reinforcing the same behavior. That's how I prefer to be. I think it's not just the job of sellers. And then RevOps is over here in a corner, just spitting out numbers. Like we both have to be like speaking the gospel, if you will. And I think it makes for stronger reps. But I think the last thing I would do in terms of playbook is, and I've done this in a number of organizations, is really taking a hard look at the state of our pipeline and understanding our pipeline generation and bringing some more science to that. And then linking that science, meaning like a pipeline model backed in, like how much pipe do we need based on our historical data and the trend of that data in order to hit our revenue target, adding in buffer because, you know, it adjusts across the different reps. And then also making sure that the reps and marketing, and if you have a partnerships team, understand that there is a responsibility to build pipe. And like, I think that is so critical. It's across the board too, right? It's it's not just marketing's job. It's, it's everybody's job. And I mean, and that's the thing, like I'll say here's the target. And this should, my recommendation is always, it should be a shared target between sales and between marketing. And we're going to try and do the best that we could. But if we're behind and somebody else has more momentum, they're going to pick up some of the slack because we have to hit the overall number versus, well, I did my part, marketing didn't do theirs or Marketing did our part, sales, like, no, it's a team sport. And it really takes strong leadership to hold both sides of that funnel accountable. That's very true. So a lot of that is based on data analysis. And I know, I think some companies are doing this, some aren't. But how do you think analytics is going to continue to evolve in revenue operations? And, and what should organizations, you know, prepare for? Especially now with all of AI coming in. I'm no expert in AI. Like, you know, it's new. I think we're all trying to figure it out ourselves. Here's what I am imagining right now, you know, and I've done this standard is like, okay, we backed into what the target is. We understand what our most effective channels might be. We've communicated what the targets are, but I think we're going to be able to get a lot more nuance to understand what the give and the get is for the different types of activities that we do alongside, hopefully, letting our customer or our prospect dictate more of where we put our money and really driving the action. So I'm starting to see more um, AI-driven companies or SaaS startups come into the space that aren't just around telling you the state of things, but they're telling you what action to take. And I think it's going to become much more prescriptive around these are the actions and the, and the reward that you can expect from that action. That's what I would anticipate, which I think is some of the missing glue. Because right now, if I had a strong pipe generation model and I had enough quarters of data and you had a pretty repeatable business, you've been running your sales process, we could get pretty tight around what the target was. But then that's just the target. I really then relied on all of the other core processes, like sales leaders holding pipe blitzes, holding coaching hours. You know, I relied on demand generation. I relied on integration of the campaigns. There was so much muscle that had to churn in all the different parts. And it was just a lot to keep track of. Like if we could really understand 
the return on all of those engagements in a consolidated way. And that's where I think hopefully AI can take us. It's going to be very groundbreaking. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's something to keep an eye on. It's something I'm really excited about seeing where AI goes, right? And what's funny too is I think everyone's like, oh, we're the AI for RevOps. Everyone's the AI for this, AI for that. And it's like it's such a broad stroke that people are giving. But yeah, I mean, I think what I would want to see is like, I would love to be able to see something, churn all the data, and then tell a specific rep, what is the next best thing you need to do today to hit your number? What is the next best action? And that's the thing. I know this is like off, but I think it's important because AI is going to play a role. But I've also seen the alternate of this where I've, I've gone into orgs where they have so much technology. No one's doing anything with it. Paralyzes everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't need to have so much. I need to have a few key actions and I need to focus my teams. And so even, you know, some of the work that I've done in implementing Yes, I've been like a technical admin of certain solutions, but really it's about the change management. It's about getting people to do the thing because I could show them all of the different signals. How do I actually get them to do something with that signal? That still is going to be hard. How do I get the human to take action, right? It's very true. I mean, you, you see this today without AI, you know, <laughs> it's like you can do all this training. You could tell them like, hey, this is how to get to your quota. Here's everything you need to do. It's getting them to they have to have the drive and the work ethic to do it and the time. I wanted to shift to another subject. I know the other thing you wanted to talk about too was RevOps Village. And RevOps Village is a community that you started to help other RevOps professionals skill up and find mentors. What was the, the catalyst that you had for founding this community and, and how has it evolved? Can you give me some background on that? Yeah, it's evolved very organically. So I started it, I think it was April of last year. And really the impetus was I'd probably had, I don't know, five or 10 different individuals reach out to me over the course of a month asking me to be their mentor. And I mean, I love mentorship. Like I've run mentorship programs in the past and scaled them, but I also, you know, I can't mentor 15 or 20 people. I always have a couple mentees. And so I thought, well, how do I do this in a bit more of a scalable fashion. So I started out thinking, oh, I'll just have an office hours. And the joke, it's not even a joke. It's actually a true story, but it sounds like a joke is I'll host this office hours. I'll send it out. Maybe like five people will show up. <laughs> like 30 people showed up and now I have almost 500 members. And don't get me wrong. Like first it was just me managing it on a list and I would copy and paste them and send an email out. And just, we talk about different revenue topics. So it's got a RevOps thrust. But it's really for any revenue professional. And I define that as, you know, if you're on the marketing side, you're welcome. I have marketing ops professionals come, product marketers. I've had C-suites come. I have sellers come. I have RevOps come. I have sales leaders come. I have VCs come. Anyone is welcome. People who are, have been in RevOps for a long time, people who are thinking about switching into it, people who want to grow in their career. And even though it's still smaller, I mean, it's 450, 500, it's highly engaged. So our main activity is we host, you know, a monthly roundtable on a different topic. I did one on the path to forecasting rigor. We have one next week all around managing the customer lifecycle to reduce churn. And I'm bringing in two CS leaders and Jeff Ignacio, who's also a RevOps leader, and I are on the RevOps side. And we're going to kind of talk about this discussion. But we're also engaging our community. So I have between 30 and 50 people show up every single month. A lot of people watch and it's highly engaged. People asking questions, they're commenting. And we're actually just preparing to launch our first Discord community that one of our members hired to build, really to take it to the next level, because we also started sharing jobs, people have shared candidacies, and I want to create a forum that they connect with each other 
so that I'm not this like bottleneck. It's, it's an exciting thing to be doing. I love doing it. Because it is today you have it in a Google group, correct? It's in a Google group and we're going to migrate to a Discord community probably in the next month. Got it. And so if someone was interested in it, how should they go about getting more information? Just connect with you on LinkedIn or? On LinkedIn, the link to it is on my LinkedIn. It's like founder RevOps. There's a link. And then if you join the Google group, don't worry, we're going to port everybody over. That's the best way to get involved. Anyone is welcome. We just have some nice norms, like no coming in and trying to hard sell us or pitch us, but it keeps the integrity of the group. But it's meant to just be a place for people to learn and connect. Like people that are in the group that are fresh in the RevOps in their RevOps career journey, what do you do to, to skill up those folks? Are there key competencies that you emphasize? Like I know I've talked about you know, having a finance background or having a sales background. Being in sales, you have the empathy of the salesperson when you go about taking what you're doing in RevOps and, and spreading it out to, to an organization. When you have the finance background, you have that data-driven, that analysis, the, the math skills behind it. Is there something specific that you focus on? Not yet, because we're not doing trainings yet. Right now, it's really just functional topics that are submitted by the group or that I propose that I have like experts in my network to come in and bring. Maybe as it scales, but that's the thing. It was meant to be this very organic forum, but I have others in my network who come in and talk about it. I'm about to launch um, a course with Sales Assembly. I'm going to run a RevOps course and so, yeah, I'm just going to do in one class, but it's still pretty nascent. Very cool. It's a great way that, that you're giving back to your community too. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a good way to stay connected and frankly, keep on top of my skills as well, because it's evolving so quickly. That's very true. As we wrap up, is there anything that you'd uh, like to leave listeners with? I have a question for you that maybe we could discuss. I'm just curious because somebody said this to me recently, a CRO that I, multi-time CRO, I really respect. We went out to lunch maybe about two months ago and we were talking about this, the changing state of RevOps and also the CRO world. And he said, you know, Ann, he's like, I actually think that strategic RevOps is like someone with your background is the ideal background for the next version 2.0 of CROs. And I'm like, oh, t- tell me more why you think. He's like, well, more and more, I think just somebody having this, you know, really dynamic, raw, raw, sis, boom, ball, personality, that might've worked. But now it's all about really knowing your numbers, knowing your process, being a driving change. And he's like, so I'm betting that we're going to see this surge of RevOps leaders turning into CRO. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've often thought that it's like, where do I head next with my career? Like I'm really enjoying doing partnerships and alliances today. I think for doing that function at Lean Data and having a RevOps background, working with other technology providers and how they can integrate their technology stack into what we do, it just plays together so well and, and keeps me in an area that I enjoy, which is getting to build relationships with other folks and other organizations and you know, being creative around ways that we can find partnerships in order to drive mutual benefits, right? Making that, we call it one plus one equals three. Like I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own, but together we can do better than we would if we were by ourselves. If you think about folks in RevOps that have that passion for forecasting and using data to determine like, are we going to get to our number? Yes or no. I think being in a CRO role, what boards look for is someone who can provide predictability. I don't necessarily want you, of course, I want you to hit your goal, right? And of course, I want the goal to be fair, but more important to a board that's looking to have CRO, 
if you're not going to hit your number, we want to know. If you are going to exceed your number, we want to know, right? So having that predictability of being able to, you know, communicate where you're going as an organization throughout the quarter, I think is really important. And when you have somebody that has that data analytics background, that passion for forecasting on the RevOps side, if that is what you do on the RevOps side, I think that role into moving into a, a, a CRO function is kind of a natural path. So I don't disagree what you uh, discussed with your, with your friend. I think it's very much a possibility. We could see it go in that direction. The other interesting thing that I think is even the CMO side, as you see marketing and sales merge into being what we talked about of where we all own the same number, now suddenly, well, the CMO is going to be much more interested in making sure that they are driving to the same number as the CRO. I think you'll see CMOs get more involved with revenue as well. I appreciate your viewpoint. I do agree with my friend's perspective and your perspective. And also I'll add, this is my last point, which is you were talking a lot about even your role in understanding technology. I mean, I say, well, well now being founder and CEO of my own company, I had never really sold, but I bought a lot. I'd probably bought, you know, been in 500 deal conversations. And so that customer centricity, I think is a real boon for somebody because it brings you empathy and I think it can shape your selling and even now, like why I had not been a SaaS seller, I mentor a lot of SaaS sellers and SaaS leaders. I think because of that buyer centricity that if you're not just thinking about it as, you know, turning on and turning off the technology, but really thinking about the value that you're deriving and how you advocate for change and whatnot, I think that also can help our function maybe elevate. No, it's very true. Oh, well, thanks for that question. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for joining us again on the OpStars podcast. Thank you, Anne, for joining us uh, today. I love having you on here. Look forward to seeing what you do with Ignite Consulting. I'm really excited. Again, like it's one of those things I think we as RevOps folks kind of dream about to be able to take that step into being a consultant and being able to do that as a full-time role. It's going to be exciting to see where you go with it. Thanks so much, Don. I appreciate you having me on and uh, good luck. Stay, stay cool wherever you are and we'll talk soon. The OpStars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.